0: Uh, if you'll go ahead and see on the screen, turn to Isaiah chapter 62. And while you're turning, I just want to also take the opportunity to, in addition to thanking our praise team for leading us in worship this morning, I want to thank you, church. I want to thank you for the prayers that you prayed on my behalf, my family's behalf while I was deployed. I want to thank you for the letters you sent me, the care packages you sent me, delicious. And... uh Every letter, every care package uh, brought a smile to my face. I enjoyed seeing some video of the Iwana, uh, the Grand Prix. That was great. Uh, I enjoyed seeing pictures uh, while I was away. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for for loving me and my family so well and uh, just ministering to us uh, during this this past year. Oh, there it goes. I thought I was going to take out the meerkat later, but somebody... uh, (laughs) Somebody was looking out for the meerkat. So. All right, so if you have your Bibles and you're at Isaiah chapter 62, I want to invite you to stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1, the Bible says, Hear the Word of the Lord. I will not keep silent because of Zion, and I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light, and her salvation like a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You will be given a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand, and a royal diadem in the palm of your God's hand. You will no longer be called deserted, and your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land will be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent, day or night. There is no rest for you, who remind the Lord. Do not give him rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn with his right hand and his strong arm, I will no longer give your grain to your enemies for food. And foreigners will not drink the new wine for which you have labored. For those who gather grain will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who harvest the grapes will drink the wine in My holy courts. Go out. Go out through the city gates. Prepare a way for the people. Build it up. Build up the highway. Clear away the stones. Raise a banner for the people. Look, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, Look, your salvation is coming. His wages are with Him and His reward accompanies Him. And they will be called the holy people, the Lord's redeemed. And you will be called cared for, a city not deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Father, may my conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt, Lord, so that it may give hope to those who hear Your word today, Lord. Speak through me, and Your servant, as He sings in Your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. In June 1940, the people of Paris, France, were on edge. They had watched with fear as the German military had attacked east into Poland with blitzkrieg and had taken the country by force. And now the German military, the Nazis, had attacked west into Belgium and France and they were approaching the capital of Paris. The Parisians were fearful because they had already heard how difficult life was under German occupation, and they knew that their army was not up to standard, and was on the brink of defeat. So in June 1940, the German military did capture the city of Paris, and not long after, uh, food rationing began, curfews were put in place, human rights atrocities began, the Jewish population uh, began to be sent to death camps and concentration camps. Anyone who resisted the German occupiers would often be executed or sent to a concentration camp. It began a period of of great trial and darkness uh, for the the Parisians. But just this week we celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day and brave men uh, from the U.S., Canadian, British military stormed the beaches of Normandy. And many gave their lives, laid down their lives for the freedom of our allies and for our nation. And they were successful. They took the, the beaches of Normandy, they seized a foothold in northern France. And so the French population, which had been under occupation for four long years had reason to be hopeful as they began to hear the reports through the BBC and through Free French Radio and from the French Resistance that the Allies are coming. General Patton's Third Army, the 4th Infantry Division from the US Army, but also the French Resistance were preparing uh, to retake the city of Paris. So you can imagine uh, the excitement that the Parisians must have felt as they knew this occupation is going to end. And less than three months after D-Day, Paris was liberated in August 1944. and It was a city renewed, it was a city reclaimed by the Allies, and you can imagine the joyful celebration uh, as the, the forces of evil had been defeated. And freedom once again reigned in the city of Paris. As we look at Isaiah chapter 62, we see a city that in some ways is kind of similar to Paris in 1940. When Isaiah is given this vision, this prophecy, things do not look good for Jerusalem and Judah. It's a city that the future looks bleak. Babylon and Assyria, two powerful empires are looming and judgment is coming for the people of Judah. In fact, the Northern Kingdom kingdom is divided at this point. The North Northern Kingdom of Israel has is already capitulated to the Assyrians. But Isaiah has a message of hope from God, and there's four four key takeaways uh, that I see from this passage that I, I believe God has wants us to focus on today. So as we look at this passage, the first one I see is that God had a mission for Isaiah and other appointed prophets. And it was to shine their light for the nations and tell them about the Renewer. And Actually, this was a mission that was for all of Israel. Uh, It was always God's design that that Israel uh, be a beacon of light for the nations to point to the true God. This was Israel's mission. Not only would it be a city on a hill physically, but spiritually. Israel was to be a city that that pointed to the true God, a God that offered forgiveness and reconciliation and a restored relationship, a relationship that had been broken in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve's sin. In Isaiah, you can see in this passage in the first few verses that Isaiah is determined to fulfill his calling, to fulfill this mission that he had been given. He says, I will not keep silent and I will not keep still because of Jerusalem. So he is... He is feeling empowered to deliver this this message, this message of hope, um, and to see that Israel fulfills the destiny that God had had given it, and this mission that God had given it. So we see that in the the first part of uh, Isaiah chapter sixty-two, God is not limited by space or time, and so God uses the faithful service of His servants uh, to accomplish His will, and we see that. Through this this prophecy, this vision that he gives Isaiah this message of hope, uh, he uses Isaiah to deliver this at a time when the people of Jerusalem were were feeling forsaken. They were feeling not cared for. They were wondering, is was their God really the true God? Uh, because they see the nations rising up against them, and they see it seems like their God might be more powerful. But Isaiah is is there to remind them, no. There is a true God, and there's a God who loves you. And even though you have turned away from God, you've rebelled against God, God offers forgiveness and renewal. And so we first see that Isaiah had a mission. Second, we see that God has a mission for you and I. And this is the, the, the really cool thing about this prophecy, is that God appoints watchmen throughout history throughout time to carry on this mission, to give people hope that God is coming back. He is holy, as we sang about. He is worthy, and He is coming back. God has a mission for for you and I, and it begins by heeding His call, submitting to His Lordship, becoming a watchman like Isaiah did and the other prophets. When you think of a watchman, that's really a, a defensive Uh, type role usually because watchmen would would look they would be at the city gates and they would be preparing uh, for for the enemy and to warn the people Uh, When I was in Poland, I I got to go visit Bethany and I when she came over actually got to visit the city of Krakow and there's this legend about some of the watchmen and you know warning of, uh, of enemy approaching one of the watchmen, before he could sound the the bell so many times uh, to warn the people, he was actually shot with an arrow. And so they they have this tradition in Krakow where they don't they don't sound the the right number of bells for the time on purpose in tribute to this watchman. He was trying to do his job, but he got shot with the arrow before he could fulfill his mission. Um, kind of interesting interesting story. But that that that's really. Uh, what Isaiah is is doing, but Isaiah, in this case, he's a watchman telling them that the king is coming and you need to be prepared, you need to prepare his way. Just like the French resistance took preparations ahead of the Allied forces uh, as they were approaching the city of Paris. So you and I have a calling to be a watchman, to tell others that the king is coming and we need to prepare for his arrival. And so I ask you today, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you preparing your family? Are you prepared yourself? Are you preparing your friends that God is coming back? We know the world is broken. We just sing about it. But we know that He's coming to renew this earth. And actually, Jesus taught us to anticipate this when He taught us to pray. He said, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, We are reminding God. We are reminding the Lord like it says in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6. There is no rest for you who remind the Lord. We're reminding the Lord your kingdom come, God. We remind you to fulfill your promise. And to renew the earth. And when God renews the earth, He's going to start with Jerusalem, His holy city. And He's going to establish His presence here on earth. He's going to use you and I to deliver the message to the people to give them hope, to, to act as those BBC radios that Free French Radio broadcasts that, hey, the king is coming. You need to be prepared. The third thing we see from this passage God is renewing his people and will renew his holy city through the wages of redemption brought by the Messiah. So, Isaiah gives a message of hope in a dark time for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. But the fortunes of the city are going to change. No longer is the city going to be on the edge of exile, but instead the city is going to be the crown jewel secure in the hand of God for all the world to see. When Isaiah says that, that the city will be a royal diadem in the palm of the hand of God, he's saying the fortunes of the city, the security of the city are going to be safe in God's hands. And we know that salvation dawned in Jerusalem at the cross and the empty tomb, and the first embers of this flaming torch that Isaiah refers to are they, those embers began to be kindled um, with the resurrection with Jesus when he defeated defeated death, and we see that through his life and ministry. He starts to reverse the curse. He starts to renew things while He's walking the earth. We know that because of the curse, because of our sin, the wages of sin brings death from Romans 6.23, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wages of our sin brings death, but the wages that the Messiah brings are life, a renewal and restoration. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he says he brings his wages with him. He's bringing redemption, reclamation, renewal of hope in a future. The holy city is going to be holy because the Holy One will dwell in the city. And He makes His people holy. Think about how God has has always been in The business of transforming people. Start with Genesis, right? With Jacob, the father of Israel. Jacob's name means deceiver, supplanter, trickster. And in ancient times, I mean, your name was really associated with your character. So imagine being Jacob and you go up to someone and they say, what's your name? He says, deceiver, trickster. I think all of us probably take a couple steps back from the guy, you know, be like, okay, keep my eye on that guy. Um, but Jacob really embraced this this role. I mean, he became a he tried to supplant his brother. He deceived his his brother Esau out of his birthright, and his character was very flawed. He was very very bad. I mean, he was living true to his name. But God pursued him, and God loved him. Like, God pursues us and loves us. And one night, Jacob wrestles with God. And as he's wrestling with God, he knows something's different about this match, okay? First of all, the guy comes out of nowhere. Second of all, this guy's a really good wrestler. Jacob holds his own, though, pretty good. I mean, Jacob's a scrappy. He's probably you know doing some cheap moves throughout this match. But uh, he says... I will not let you go until you bless me. He knows there's something different. There's something holy about this, this wrestler. And So God does promise Jacob something. And He, he promises him the best thing that, he, that Jacob could ever have, and that's to, to transform him, to change him. To bring him into right relationship with himself. And so He, he gives Jacob the best blessing he can have, and He transforms his character changes and He renews him. He says, you're going to be called Israel. Which Israel means contends with God and triumphant with God. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture where God transforms His people. In this case, He's going to transform the city of Jerusalem. We see it in the New Testament with Jesus where He starts changing their names of the disciples. Simon, which means kind of weak, reed kind of has this connotation of weakness. He says, no, you're going to be my rock. You're going to be Peter. I'm going to build my church on your ministry. With the sons of Zebedee, James and John, no longer are you guys going to be called, you know, known as the sons of Zebedee. hope Zebedee was a good guy, but I don't know. But he says, you're going to be called the sons of thunder. And, And in that day and age, the Sons of Thunder had this connotation of having a divine message from God. James and John would, would deliver the gospel, the message of the gospel. So God and Jesus and the person of Jesus gives faith fortifying names, transformative names. He gives these names to Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the people of Judah had a had turned away from God. They had turned to the idols of their pagan neighbors and engaged in evil practices. They had not only they worshiped idols, committed idolatry. They were doing child sacrifice. They were engaged in sexual immorality. And so God had divorced them. He was punishing them because of their unfaithfulness. But notice that God says, I'm going to remarry you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bring you back into right relationship. He's going to do that with the city of Jerusalem. So not only does God renew His people, but He is going to renew His city. You see this in Revelation 21.5 too, this promise where He says, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. if If you are in Christ, God is renewing your life. He's changing you through the work of the Holy Spirit to be holy, to be like Jesus. We know the Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God. And the way I think of it is, we're like this beautiful painting, this Rembrandt. And God designed us. But sin, when sin entered the world, it was like someone just threw black paint all over this beautiful canvas. But sanctification occurs After we are justified in Christ, we become followers of Jesus. We're forgiven of our sins. And sanctification through the work of the Holy Spirit begins to erase that black paint that was over that canvas. And we become who God designed us to be. His original intent for us. Our purpose. And so we begin to have compassion for the way Jesus had compassion for people. We begin to serve people the way that Jesus served people. We begin to have uh, a right understanding of justice and hate for oppression the way Jesus hated oppression and injustice. And this is the work of sanctification. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we know that God's promise to make everything new is faithful and true because our God is faithful and the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God is going to renew not just my life, your life, in Christ. He's going to renew the whole earth. I don't want to get ahead, too far ahead of our, myself because we're going to talk more in detail about that next week. But again, it's going to start with Jerusalem, His holy city. We sang about it earlier, and in Romans 8, we know that the earth is groaning because the earth is groaning, aching to be made new. But a day is coming. Liberation is coming. Renewal is coming. As the king approaches, lastly, we see that the King, the Creator of the universe is approaching and He's going to deal with sin and those who remain in sin. So if you aren't in Christ, then you need to listen to me as a watchman. You need to listen to others as a watchman and heed the warning that judgment is coming for you if you continue to rebel and reject God. So the watchmen do have a defensive purpose in warning you that the King is coming. Revelation 21, verses 6-8, through the Bible says, Then He said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we know that God in His righteousness is going to deal with sin. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, 6, through 11, Paul writes, "...don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom." And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul is is writing and reminding the Corinthians about the, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. He turns our desires away from sin and he begins to reverse the power of the curse. And notice that Paul's conclusion, it's hopeful because we were all mired in sin. I... Would contest that everyone in this room uh, could find himself on this list, and I think the catch-all on on this list is that we've all committed idolatry. We've all put someone or something in the place of God, whether it be possessions, pursuits, career, family, whatever. But God opens our eyes to our sin, and He and He frees us, and He justifies us. And Paul writes that He justifies us through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, and, and by the spirit of our of our God, the work of the Holy Spirit, He renews us, and we continue to be renewed. Romans ten nine and ten, Paul writes: If you declare with your mouth, "Jesus is Lord," and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So we see from Romans and Matthew and, and Revelation that salvation is freely given. Forgiveness was bought through the precious blood of Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death as we sang about their opening, opening song. But you and I... If you are not in Christ you can have this hope of salvation it can be yours today so to recap this message the four four main points from this passage number one is God had a mission for Isaiah and other appointed prophets to shine their light for the nations and tell them about the renewer and God is going to fulfill this mission for Jerusalem and for Israel God has a mission for you to heed the call and prepare for his return. God is renewing his people and will renew his holy city through the wages of redemption brought by the Messiah. And God in his perfect justice is going to crush sin and death for all eternity and punish those who reject his lordship. So if you're outside of Christ, God wants to redeem you, to renew you. And you can have this hope today.